Freedom in Christ is our 2014 theme. Coming closer to the end of 2014. Seems like we just started the other day, but uh, we've looked at a number of different series of ways that we are free in Christ. Our current series is called Free from Doubt. Free from Doubt. Uh, We started with this thought last time we were together. Uh, If the Bible's absolutely full of commands to be confident, to not fear, to to not to doubt, to uh, trust God, if it's just full of that for life on this earth, uh, what would God expect us to think about our eternal salvation? If we're not to doubt, if we're not to fear, if we're to trust God for this world where things are a mess and there are lots of things to be fearful of and lots of things that cause us problems, uh, in, the situa- in the matter of our eternal salvation, how do you think God ought to, would like us to think about that? And my answer is, well, I would expect him to think we ought to be confident, that we ought to not fear and not doubt. So that's what this series is about, free from doubt. Uh, Every Christian ought to have assurance. We put this statement up that maybe will stick in our head. Uh, Every Christian ought to have this kind of assurance. You can go to heaven and you can know you're going. And a lot of folks probably think, well, of course I think that way. But I fear there may be some who don't always think that way. So we began a couple weeks ago with this one, and uh, we did two very simple things. We picked, we put three words in the right order. Uh, you remember knowing, doing, and feeling. Got to get those in the right order uh, so we can have this assurance. And then we picked one word between assurance and insurance. When we looked at the difference in those, uh, we don't have insurance uh, for heaven. We've got assurance. Now, so that's what we did when we started. Today, we're going to talk about, uh, I've entitled it, Because He Said So. Because He Said So. Some of you have probably seen the bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, that's a bad bumper sticker because the middle phrase is superfluous there. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. If God says it, that settles it. Uh, that's what the bumper sticker ought to say. Uh, but the concept's there. God said it, that settles it. Now that's what we're going to work on this morning. Now, before we start talking about being free from doubt in this area, because he said so, uh, I want to be real honest. I said when we started this series, I was talking to Christians, uh, talking to mostly folks I know. Uh, so let's talk about this in just a second. We're very leery in our fellowship very leery of false doctrine, uh, because we are, and we take a certain pride in it, I think, which is fine, uh, to be people of the book. We stress the book, and we say that's where we get everything that we need for life and godliness. Uh, so we say things like we speak where the Bible speaks. Uh, we We don't condone or uh, mess around, if we can help it, with false doctrine. We want right doctrine. And one of the, well, high on the list of false doctrines is the concept of once saved, always saved. 
A lot of folks teach that in this world. And it is a false doctrine. It's not true to the Bible. Uh, and we're not going to talk about that this morning, but we know that. Uh, there are too many warnings, there are too many examples in the Bible about falling away, about falling from grace, people who did it, and warnings not to if you're in Christ. There's too much of that to make once saved, always saved, uh, even possibly true doctrine. So, as people of the book, we understand that. And in one sense, I think maybe we're kind of balanced in the real big picture. If you think, well, almost all the religious world teaches once saved, always saved. And we're kind of a voice in the wilderness over here saying, well, now, that's not true. Yeah, you can fall from grace. You you better be careful. And we kind of warn people about that. So if you take that picture, maybe it's kind of balanced. But I fear, I don't fear, I know, when we're talking to ourselves, we get a little out of balance. We don't get it quite the way the Bible has it balanced. Because we're so anti this false doctrine... I think we have a practice of any time we talk about assurance, about confidence, about not doubting, we want to add that but at the end. Yes, we have salvation, but it's possible to fall from grace. Yeah, yes, I'm saved, but I got to be careful because you can fall. And and we say that so much, we have said that so much, that I'm afraid we've got to where we've made falling away almost a probability instead of a possibility. Falling away is a possibility. But for someone in Christ, it's not a probability. It's very rare. You look around and you see people who leave Christ once they've known the blessings. That doesn't happen very often. You can walk away from Christ. You can forsake Him. You can decide to trust in something else. But that doesn't happen a whole lot in the world of Christianity. So when we're talking to ourselves, I think maybe we could leave that butt off of there. Today, I'd like to try to take the tone that the Bible takes when it's talking to Christians. I'm speaking to those in Christ. If you're here and you're not in Christ, then we're not going to talk about how to get in Christ today. We can talk about that sometime. But today, I'm talking to people in Christ. Those who found out what to do, knew it, they did it, and now they ought to feel assured. All right, so we're going to look at straight Bible today. I'm going to make a few comments, but you can tell by your handout, i got a lot of scriptures. And, and we're going to just look at straight Bible, and we're going to treat it like Jesus said it. That's my title, because he said it. And it may come from Peter or from Paul or from God or from the Holy Spirit or Jesus or whoever, but I think they all pretty well agree. So we're going to look at this like Jesus is saying all these things to us. 
Uh, some of you may want to kind of read along and see the words as I read them, and some of you may just prefer to listen and not be confused by trying to keep up with it. Whatever your choice is your choice. Let's walk through a few simple questions and get the big picture. Let's start with big question number one. Who is he? Who is he? Who are we talking about? Because he said so. Who is he? Genesis chapter 1. God said, let there be light. God said, let the water under the skies be gathered together. Let the dry ground appear. God said, let the water teem with living creatures. God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Then God said, let us make man in our image. When he said those things, those things happened. There was no light, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. There were no creatures in the waters, and he said, let there be creatures. Let the waters teem with creatures, and creatures appeared. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, explain that more. It says, in the beginning was the Word. The term for Jesus was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, listen here, all things were made. Without him, nothing that was made, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. That's who we're talking about. The one who spoke the world into existence. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us about Jesus, verses 5 through 8. says, you made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, and you put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. See who we're talking about? The one who spoke the worlds into existence and the one who has now been crowned with glory and honor and has everything subject to him. Hebrews 2.9 says, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. Okay, this is who we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus today. I know we focus on the cross. I know we're, we're, we need to every week. That's why God established the memorial. And during that time, we focused on the cross. And we need to remember that. But folks, we need to look up more frequently. We need to look at where Jesus is today. Yes, He did what He did on the cross, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But we are talking about today the one who spoke the worlds into existence, who has been crowned with glory and honor and has everything under him. And nothing is not subject to him. When Stephen was being stoned to death, he was not thinking about Jesus on the cross. He wasn't looking at the cross and thinking, my Savior died for me. So this is going to be all right. He was looking into heaven and he told the crowd, look, behold, I see heaven open and Jesus, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God. He was telling those folks, Jesus is watching. Jesus is paying attention. Jesus is seeing every stone that strikes me. 
And Jesus has been crowned with glory and honor, and everything is under him. This is going to be all right. That's who he saw. Hebrews 2.10 says, now, where he's crowned with glory and honor, he is the author of our salvation. And let's look at another verse with it, 5.9, I put next. It says, He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. The words in those two uh, verses, 2.10 and 5.9, are the same. And sometimes you have different translations. Sometimes you're going to see author of your salvation. Sometimes you're going to see source of your salvation. Sometimes you're going to see the captain of your salvation. And they all fit there. They're all a little bit different, but they all fit that context. The author, an author of something, is the cause or the reason for it. It wouldn't exist if he hadn't have authored it. In our eternal salvation, he is the author of it. The source is where it came from, where it comes from. And the captain, well, we know what a captain is. He's the leader. He, he's running this ship. Now, what's he say? He's the author, the source, the captain of our eternal salvation. Yes, he died on the cross for our sins, but he is the author, the captain, the source of our eternal salvation. And if he says we are saved, what do you say when the captain says something? Well, I hope he's right. No, when the captain says something, if the one who authored it says something, if the one where it came from says something, you snap too, click your heels and salute. You say, yes, sir. That's who we're dealing with here. The creator who has been crowned with glory and honor and everything is under him and he is the author and the source and the captain of our eternal salvation. Number two, what did he do? Let's make sure we know that. Isaiah chapter 53, the, the suffering servant is a prophecy about Jesus. In verse 5 and 6, look into the future and tell it in past tense. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains it this way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Jesus himself on the cross in John 19.30 said, It is finished. It's finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? What was, did Jesus retire then? Yeah, was he done? No. What was finished? The payment. The sacrifice for sin. Hebrews 9.28 says, Christ was sacrificed once. To take away the sins of many. He was sacrificed once and on the cross he said, there, I did it. That's finished. 
And a whole lot of the book of Hebrews explains that that one sacrifice was all that was needed. His blood continues to be effectual. So that's what he did. He paid the price. He was the propitiation for our sins, we say sometimes. That's what he did. He finished it. Well, that's important, and we've got to know that, and we remember it every week at the table. And that's good, but what's he been doing for 2,000 years? What's he doing on October 26th? What is he doing now? Number three, what's he doing now? Hebrews 1.3 says the Son is. Here's what he's doing now. He's sustaining all things by his powerful word. He did create the world by his word, and now he's sustaining it. He's keeping it working. It's moving at his powerful word. Take the next step. He did pay the sacrifice for our sins. What's he doing now? He's sustaining our eternal salvation by his powerful word. Hebrews 1.3 says, After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Go back through that verse. All things are being sustained. All things. Is my salvation among all things? I think so. Your salvation among all things? I think so. He's sustaining it. How? By his powerful word. Does that ring a bell anywhere? Who we're dealing with is somebody that could say, let there be light. And there was light. If he says you're saved, I think that's good enough. That, that's what he's doing. First John 2, 1 and 2. John says, if anybody sins, does that apply to anybody in here? Anybody sin this week? Don't have to hold your hands up. Here's what happens. If anybody sins, Paul, uh, John's talking to Christians. If anybody sins, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice. He takes care of it if anybody sins. Well, you say, how does that work? Well, First John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Are you walking in Him? Are you in Christ? If you're walking in Him, if you're in Christ and you sin, what happens? The blood purifies it. The blood takes care of it. Every time I talk about that verse, I use the same illustration, the windshield wipers. It's constant. The Word is continually purifies from all sin. When rain hits the windshield, the windshield wiper takes it off. You don't have to go out there and take care of each drop yourself. The windshield wiper does it. That's what Jesus is doing. He's speaking to the Father in our behalf. His blood is still effectual. And because of that, Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely. 
saved to the uttermost, some translations say. Those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. You know what intercession is? That's praying to God for somebody else. Some of you pray for other people. Some of you occasionally have said to me, I'm, I'm going to be praying for you about this. You know how good that makes you feel? When somebody says, I'm going to pray specifically for you. When one of you tells me that, I feel good. Guess what? I feel a whole lot better that Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is interceding. He's sitting right at God's right hand. I think he stands up and looks every once in a while when we're really in trouble. But he watches everything. And he intercedes for us with the Father. That's what he's doing now. Number four, what will he do? Well, pretty clear. Jesus himself told his apostles, he said, I'm leaving now. And they got all excited. He said, well, don't, don't get too excited. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back. I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. First Thessalonians two sixteen and 18 tells us how it will be when that happens. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ, the dead in Christ. People that have already died that were in Christ when they died. The dead in Christ. Well, they'll rise first, and after that, we are who are still alive and left. Be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Man, look at that verse. What's he saying? What's he saying to us? He says, when he comes back, those who died in Christ... And those who are alive in Christ. I'm talking to folks alive in Christ. You're in this verse. He says he's going to catch us up to be with him and we'll be with him forever. And what's he say we should do about that? Take those words and encourage one another. Does he say encourage one another but make sure you add the qualifications? Does he say encourage one another, but make sure you say at the end, I hope so. No, he says take that fact and encourage one another. What's going to happen when the world ends? Well, if I'm dead, I'm going to heaven with Jesus. If I'm alive, I'm going to heaven with Jesus. That kind of encourages me, folks. That's what he will do. Now, that's the picture. Now, number five, what does he say about all that? Title of the sermon is, Because He Said So, what's he say? Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Writing to Christians, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And, and having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. 
It's guaranteed until he does come back. You say, well, he doesn't say anything about how you get in Christ. He's not talking to pagans. He's talking to Christians. He said, when you believed and you were saved, you included in Christ. And you got marked, you're sealed, you're guaranteed until he comes back. I am his possession. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. Catch this one. <laughs> this is good. Raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Let's hold on there just a little bit. Where are we right now? I know I'm standing here. Where am I figuratively? I'm in Christ. Where's Christ? He's in the heavenly realms. Where am I? I'm in the heavenly realms. I'm seated with Christ. And it's guaranteed. That's where I am. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift to God. Not by work so that no one can boast. We're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a difference, folks, between doing good works and trusting in good works. I'm doing good works, but I'm seated in the heavenly realms. First Peter 1, 3 through 5 and then 8 through 9 will be our last one. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a lot of stuff in that verse. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If somebody ever tries to plant a doubt in your head, you go read those four verses. There's so many doctrinal things in there. There's so many wonderful things in there. When we went into Christ, we got a living hope. We got an inheritance that, that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. And it's being kept in heaven for us until he comes back for us. And because of that, we ought to have an inexpressible and glorious joy. We are receiving the end result. He's working out our salvation. That's what he's doing now. That's what he says about it. Encourage yourself with those words would be a good close. All right, last question. 
Who do I trust? Who do I trust? We've been talking about Jesus, who he is, and what he did, and what he's doing, and what he will do, and what he says about it. Who do I trust? Let's think through this. I'm in Christ. I'll assume you're in Christ. I'm walking in Christ. My faith is still in Him. That's who I'm trusting. I'm doing good works, but I'm not trusting in them to get in. Well, that's what the first lesson was about. How dumb would that be? I'm trusting in grace to get in. I can't do enough to get in, so I'm going to trust in grace to get in. But I'll do good works. Now, some people are going to tell me, in spite of all that, some pharisaical rule keeper is going to tell me I'm not doing enough. Some preacher may try to worry me by preaching all the time that you're saved, but uh, you better be careful. Don't be thinking you're saved just because you were once saved. Satan himself may try to convince me that I'm not good enough. What's one of his titles? That's his job. He is the accuser of the brethren. That's what he tells you. Somehow he's telling you that right now. In spite of everything that guy just read to you. (laughs) He wasn't talking about you. I accuse you of not being good enough. That may all happen. And when all that happens, I've got to decide. Am I going to trust a Pharisee or a misguided preacher or Satan himself? Or am I going to trust the captain of my salvation? That's not a hard question, folks. It's hard in principle sometimes because we're fleshly and we listen to that foolishness. But I think I'll trust the captain of my salvation. I think I choose to have a living hope. I think I choose to have a living hope and an inexpressible and glorious joy. In fact, I think I choose to have a living hope and an inexpressible and glorious joy and no doubts. Why? Because he said so. He said so. Next time, we'll talk about me and sin, get our relationship to sin right. During this week, as I worked on this sermon, I I got an old song caught in my head. Couldn't remember all of it, but I could get pieces of it. And it finally hit me why it was popped in there, uh, because it summarized the lesson today. Pretty well got it all in there. So I talked to Mark, and he adapted the service, and we got it in there. Together, we're going to get to hear the wondrous story. So we get to all listen to the wondrous story. Now, if you're not in Christ, all that I said this morning doesn't apply. I was talking to people in Christ. You can change that today if you want to, and we pray that you will. If you need to come, come. Let's stand and sing. Let's listen to the wondrous story.